as we were in worship, we were singing about Jesus, 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 and very familiar passage of scripture, <laughs> but I was just, I was drawn there to Acts chapter 4. I love, I love this passage of scripture because it's uh, Peter, it says in Peter filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 8, but, but I love this story, what's going on, because uh, we find this man is healed. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, keep wanting to know how it happened. And uh, so the, this man testifies before them, and then they ask Peter again. And uh, Peter says here in verse 8, then Peter, let's back up. Verse 6, let's back up. Verse 5, <laughs> glad we got reversed. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Anas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. So this was the leaders of the leaders. This was the, uh, the big wheels, if you will. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and, Israel, and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to the helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. <laughs> it said they recognized that Peter and John were not educated like they were, but that they had been with Jesus. Wow. Man, there's, there's no other, there's no greater acclaim <laughs> than it be recognized you've been with Jesus. It says, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. As I was looking at that, I was reminded of, of John chapter 5. This is uh, something I touched on a few weeks ago just before Susan came. And I want to share this, and then we're going uh, to have a few testimonies. John 5, verse 36 says this, But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have, ne you have neither excuse me, heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. Verse 39 you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. He said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. Jesus looked at them and he said, of all the people, you should know the scriptures. And you do. You know the scriptures, but what is so sad is all of those scriptures pointed to Jesus and his coming. The, the, testimony, the testimony of Jesus and the prophecies that were fulfilled in his birth all the way up to this point where he is right here with them was more than enough for them to see, especially the scholars, to see and to know that this wasn't just random chance that this was the Lord. 
that he was the Messiah. I mean, there was the Samaritan woman by the well that Jesus said, it's, it's, we must go through Samaria. And it was the Samaritan woman by the well that Jesus began to, to reveal who he was to her. And she said, we've heard the Messiah is coming. And Jesus said, I that talk to you am he. And he turned this woman of not such a good reputation into an evangelist. And her whole community came to know the Lord. Why? Because of an encounter with the Lord. A radical encounter with the Lord. Revelation 19.10 says this, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus himself said, If you don't believe what I say, believe me for the very work's sake. Jesus said, I want you to believe because of not just what I say, but what you see. Right? That's what Jesus said here. The works that the Father has given me to finish thee, the very works that I do bear witness of me. Hebrews 1 says Jesus is the express, the exact representation of the Father. So if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. If we want to know the heart of the Father, if we want to know the will of the Father, we just need to look at Jesus. Right? We see Jesus and his heart and how he revealed the Father's heart. And Jesus said, these things that I've done, I've done that you might believe, that you might believe. And that led me to another passage, and I want to share this, and then we're going to have a few testimonies from last week. First John verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 15 says this, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. As I was looking over this again this past week, uh, I touched on this passage of Scripture two weeks ago when we talked about, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we're in Ephesians chapter 4 and we were talking about the body of Christ. And we're going to probably touch on that a little today as well. And we talked about the body of Christ and how in this day that we live, it's the whole body. It takes the whole body to minister, to be that express image of Jesus in the earth. Romans 8 says, creation itself is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So creation itself, not just created uh, people, but creation itself is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. To say, we are the ones that have been uh, saved, it says here, that believed in his name. But what was so powerful about me in, to me in this passage of scripture in 1 John chapter 4, in verse 16 it says this, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. And the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, that's the power twins. I don't know if y'all remember the power twins. That's dating me a little bit. Power twins. Power. Activate. I'm sorry. But he said, these are the power twins. What is it? What are the power twins? He said, we have known and believed. The Lord said, it's not just enough to know. But believe. What did Jesus say in John chapter 5? You know the scriptures. You search the scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life. So Jesus was saying, is there anything wrong with studying the scriptures? Absolutely not. But see, we don't, we don't study the scriptures to gain knowledge. We, get, we study the scriptures to know him. It's all, it, it, it all boils down to this relationship. Jesus didn't come to start religion. Jesus came to model relationship. Relationship with the Father. What did he say? I only do, John 5, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. What was he saying? I'm in constant fellowship with the Father. What would Jesus do? He would minister to the people. He would get alone by himself. As I've said, one of the scriptures, my life's verse is John, uh, as Hebrews 13, 8. But one that God has really used in my life in the past few years is Mark chapter 1, where Jesus, it says, he went apart to pray. And while he's away, Peter went looking for him. And Peter came, and when he found him, he said, Jesus, where have you been? Everybody is looking for you. 
Everyone is looking for you. And the Lord so arrested my heart and my attention when I read that. And he said, Todd, the same is true today. Everyone's still looking for Jesus. The lost don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with religion. Because how he's been portrayed through religion. You know, this is a a little catchphrase, but it's boiled down to the essence. Here's what it is. Religion is due. Relationship is done. Religion, all the religions we see, and my heart is saddened when I, I look at Israel and I see what's going on in Israel. We were here Monday night for, for Go, to go out, and Jackie uh, has an app on her phone that plays a, a sound every time a bomb goes off in Israel. And we were here in this room for like 30 minutes. It would have been like 2.30 in the morning in Israel, and it went off five times in 30 minutes. And as I've prayed much for Israel this week and, and, and thought about that attack against Israel. And even some of the things that are said that Hamas has said that, uh, you know, that their God has diverted some of our missiles. It's a testimony to who he is. But I look at these religions and their doing is because they think that's what's going to get them to heaven. Their doing is what they think. is. I mean, even this whole pseudo ceasefire thing that was going on, and then somebody from Hamas blew themselves up, suicide bomber, and killed some soldiers and captured one. They really believe that what they do is what gets them there. And on top of all that, I've been reading through Galatians again, reading it in the Passion Translation. Don't do it unless you just really, really, really want to be stirred up. It's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful translation and, and I've been reading through there, and I love how simple it is. Because one of the things that Paul says to the Galatians is, how can you be so stupid? I'm just like, you can't miss that. You began in faith, believing that Jesus had finished. And now you think that there's something that you can do that can cause him to cause you to gain his love. So in all of that, looking at this, he said it's not just to know, but it's to know and believe. What do we believe? We believe that it is finished, that Jesus did what he said that he did. And in that believing, our life, listen, our life becomes an expression of who he is. That's why it's so important as you read in, in 1 Corinthians, as you read in Ephesians, when it talks of 4, Ephesians 4, when it talks about the body and how intricately the body is put together and how each joint supplies. Every person is important. And here's the thing that I said a couple of weeks ago. That doesn't just mean this local body, the river. It doesn't mean just this expression. It means, it means his body in the earth. It means all denominations that call on Jesus as Savior and Lord. We're that body and we have to flow together. We have to work together to see him get his full reward. Friday night, uh, a few of us went to the training for Reinhard Bonnke for uh, the crusade coming up in September. And it was, it was awesome to see. I think there's over 200 churches, if I'm not mistaken. I think 200 churches across denominational lines that are coming together for this evangelistic outreach in the Greensboro Coliseum. We have information at the door about it, about when it is. We have the harvester cards, which are these cards right here. It says you'll put down five names and you'll pray for them from now until then. And not just pray for them, but take them. That they might come to know the Lord. You know, it's so easy. I've shared this before, but I'll, I'll share it again. It's so easy to sit in our homes watching CNN or whatever your straight line, your IV of bad news is. And just talk about how bad it is in America and how bad America is. And not stop and think that we're the light of the world. I, I won't ever forget, and, and I was just in Bible college. It just started, and uh, the pastor of the church where I was attending, I, I would sit, my row was right there where, where Brenda is. I was the second row. 
I didn't take the first rope because I, did, I was just a young man. I want to step out of line. But I took the second rope. That was my pew. Y'all ever been in those churches where you got your pew? Some people went so far as to donate it and put their name on it so they could have their pew. <laughs> but that was my pew. That's where I was. Didn't nobody sit in my pew. I'd ask them to move <laughs> nicely in Jesus' name. Amen. But that was my pew. And I remember the pastor came by, and he tapped me on the shoulder, and he leaned down, and he said, Todd, how big is God? How big is your God? And I was like, man, my God, he's so big. So I just went through this thing about how big is, is my God. And he said, the Lord spoke so gently to my heart. And this is even before I knew I could hear from the Lord. He spoke so gently in my heart. He said, Todd, I'm so big, I care about your smallest need. I'm so big, I care about your smallest need. And I began, Lord, you care about my smallest need. And I began to just think about how dark the world was. And this was 25 years ago. How bad America was. And I began to, God, you care about my smallest needs. I know you care about America. And I just began to curse darkness. Y'all ever done that? I mean, you don't have to be truthful and raise your hand. But, you know, when you just get in those real spiritual moments and you just start cursing darkness and all the darkness and cursing darkness and commanding, y'all ain't. Okay, I've talked to a few of you. And the Lord just really checked my heart. And he said, how dare you curse darkness when I've called you to be a light? Light supersedes darkness. And as I sat in this meeting, and there was probably 300 people, wouldn't you say, that filled the upstairs and they had an overflow downstairs. 300 plus people who were there just to be altar workers and things like that. And I think, you know, we can talk about what bad shape North Carolina is in. We can talk about what bad shape our country is in. But here's an opportunity that we can partner with the ministry that's coming in to see people born again. You know, I am not here to promote a man. I'm here to promote what the Lord is doing. I don't think it's a coincidence that he's coming to our state at this time. We've been praying. You know, the Lord said in Psalms, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. We've been praying, and we, we want to pray, and we want the nations over. You know, we, we've had the, the blessing and the privilege in this small fellowship to start a work in the Dominican Republic, to see a, uh, a pastor raised up, to see a church built, and uh, we've seen all of that in the nations, but I don't want to just do there. I shared with you two weeks ago, we go, when we go to the DR, and we'll go out, and we'll go door to door, and we'll go ministering to people in the street, and they've asked me every time when, we, when we're down there, do you guys do this at home? I go, no. It doesn't work like that at home. You know why it doesn't work like that at home? Because we don't work it. Oh, don't shout me down. It doesn't work because we don't work it. Oh, well, you said that it's done. It's not doing. It's done. It is. But from that relationship, from that intimacy that I have with him, what did Jesus do when Peter was looking for him? He went apart with the Father. He heard what the Father was saying, and then he went out and he ministered to the multitudes. And as he did, there were signs, there were wonders, there were miracles. He was just ministering out of the life that was on the inside of him. Listen, that's the same life that's been planted in us. And how, what did Jesus do? He went about. He didn't sit inside. He went about. He was among the people. And, and I look at this and I thought, man, what an opportunity we have to partner with uh, this ministry to see people born into the kingdom of heaven. And one of the things that was so powerful that this guy that spoke that he said is he said, we're serious about discipleship. He said, and we need you, the churches. And uh, it, was, it was really good, some of the things that he said. But he said, what we need you to do is fill out the information when the people come down and make decisions. All you have to do is fill out the information, assist them getting to that place where they fill out, you fill out the information and then you turn it in. He said, because if the information isn't filled out and filled in correctly, we can't get them from decision to disciple. And I was like, wow, that's so good. You know, our heart's desire shouldn't be to birth a bunch of babies and leave them laying around. In the natural, that's child abuse. Amen. Take them from decision to disciple, and that takes people. That takes us looking unto the harvest and seeing that it's white and it's ready, and that we partner with that, that we get our eyes beyond us onto Him and uh, allow Him to have His way in us. And, so, and the way that that takes place, again, 
maybe this is just found, found it, this is real rudimental. It's very simple, but that's what I want. Hey, I'm just in a simple mood today. But it's not just knowing. It's knowing and believing. Because until we know and believe, then we can't. Here's a leadership principle I learned a long time ago. I think it was John Maxwell that I read. He said, you don't reproduce what you want. You reproduce what you are. We don't reproduce what we want. We reproduce what we are. And I've seen that in ministry. You know the ministries I've seen, if it be a ministry in a church that really takes off, you know why I've seen that ministry take off? It's not because they've got the most dynamic leader. It's not because they've got the best plan laid out. You know what? It's a leader who has seen this transformation in their lives, and all they want to do is see it in others. You know what they have? They have ownership. It's real to them. And when it's real to you, you can get... What did Peter and John, Acts chapter 4, where we started, what did Peter and John say to the man laying at the gate? Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. They knew and they believed what they had, what Jesus had told them had been given to them. He told them, wait in Jerusalem till you be endued with power. And when you are, then you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part. So when they waited in the upper room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, then they went out and they were witnesses. You look at Peter, the man who denied Christ, who stood up in Acts chapter 2 and preached on the day of Pentecost and declared there's something new has come. Do you understand? The first Pentecost is when the law was given and 3,000 died. The, the, this Pentecost, the Spirit was given and 3,000 were born again. That's a good word right there. Peter, the man who had denied Christ, said, I don't know him, was restored. What a message. You know, it, I don't care where you came from. I don't care where, what your past was. This is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice and we are glad in it. The past is gone. You know what meditating on the past will do for you? Absolutely. That's a good word right there. Keep you there. You're the only one that can move forward from your past. No one can hold you in your past but you. I was, I, when I, I spend time with the Lord and I study, I, I just read a lot of different things. And I was reading something about Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Christ, and I was looking at the women that are listed there, the only ones that are listed in Jesus', Jesus genealogy. One of them, was a prostitute who lied. <laughs> I'm just saying. She was in the genealogy. There was a Moabitess woman whom the Jews were told they could have no fellowship with. Was the great-grandmother of David. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, his mom is who David had an affair with. I worked at Honda Power Equipment in our department. We, we wrote the operation standards for the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the plant. And uh, I don't remember who it was in the department, but somebody at Christmas, our, we would always get jerked around. We were important enough to write all the operation standards, but if some shift was going on in the office, we'd get moved over here and moved over there. They would stick us in a closet if they had to. So at Christmas time, one of the things that one of the people bring in is they would bring in these little stuffed animals from uh, the island of misfit toys. <laughs> and we would set them up in the window of our office that, that, to, you know, that we're the misfits that just get put wherever, you know, to train with square wheels and things like that. And we look at that and we laugh, but Jesus, that's all he has to work with. And if you think more highly than that of yourself, you've set yourself up. Not that you're worthless, not that you're not any good. I'm not making a negative confession. I'm just telling you, as we get over ourselves, Jesus can work through us because our attention is no longer us, it's on him. Just acknowledge that it's not in me other than Christ in me. It's the, the old saying, God's not looking for your ability, he's looking for your availability. Who he calls, he equips. Amen. We've heard them all. Glory, hallelujah. But what I'm telling you is that's not just the pastors. That's not just the small group leaders. That's not just the ministry leaders. That's every one of us individually. And when we know that and believe that, the life of that is released into us, and then we can take that and carry it to those who are hurting on the outside. 
Amen. We're going to have some testimonies. I haven't forgotten. You know, I, we were, we were, we've been praying. I, a collective we was me. I've been praying and just saying, Lord, I know there's things that you want us to do. So I want your strategies for what those are. I don't want to just do another thing. Even if I know that you said this is something we should be doing, then if this is something we should be doing, you can tell us how we're supposed to be doing it. We don't want to do a thing. We want to partner with what you're doing. Does that make sense? So I've been praying for strategies and things about how we could do even some of the ministries that we're already doing right now, do them more effectively. And, and um, we were in prayer a couple of weeks ago, and uh, men's prayers, we meet here at 630, little commercial, little plug. Men, if you're a man, you qualify. Uh, 630 here on Thursday mornings. And we were here, and we were praying, and when we got ready to close, Ben said, man, I feel like the Lord has given me this to share. And it was Revelation chapter 5. And uh, it's verse 9 and 10. It says, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll. You know what's so awesome is we were singing today all the songs that we were singing and some of the new songs that Mel and Melita were singing to the Lord. They're talking about how worthy Jesus. I was just like, man, they're preaching the message, and that's awesome. I can just get up and say amen. Somebody's like, yeah, right. <laughs> Whatever. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain. And have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our gods. We shall reign on the earth. And Ben was saying you know, just exactly what the guy said Friday night. Is that there's, it takes people to go from decision to disciple. And, and Ben said, man, what's in, in my heart? is to see people learn to grow up into that reigning as kings and priests. Not just being born again by the blood. And, and I don't make light of that. That's the most miraculous thing that will happen in your life. It's not a healing. It's not a deliverance. It's being born again. A dead man coming to life. That's the most amazing thing that can happen in our lives. But at that point, that's not the end. It's the doorway into life like he wants us to have it. Are you with me? It's not the destination, it's the door into the life that he's called us to live. And it said he made us. So is made future or past tense? Past. He made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. He said to those who know and believe the love that God has for us. Verse 18 of 1 John 4 says this, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And, and what I understand is this. As we grow in that love, understanding that love that he has for us, then we're willing to step out in that boldness and in that love, and others, we see others impacted by it. Psalms 2, 7 and 8 is what I, I quoted earlier. It says, well, I, I referenced, I didn't quote. Verse 7 says, I will declare the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I, I have begotten you. Verse 8, Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. This is a, a messianic psalm declaring of Jesus that the Father and Jesus, Jesus having a dialogue here, and he said, Ask of me and I will give you the nations. So let me ask you this question. If God told Jesus, When you ask, I will give you the nations, do we have a right in him to ask and believe that those nations are ours? Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, I, I know I'm jumping around a lot, but I want you to uh, understand where I'm going when I talk about uh, us knowing and believing. Because here's what I, I believe when you boil it down to this. You can know something and be inactive. You can know it and be uh, sedentary. You just sit around. But when you know it and believe it, you can't sit still. Are you with me? When you know it and believe it, that's when transformation has taken place. That's when it's not just I have a mental knowledge of this, 
But when you know it and you believe it, you go, you know what? That's not just a good word. That's for me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Let there be light. When you know it and believe it, that's when there's not just information, but motivation. And we move into, that was Jesus. He was moved with compassion. He knew about the need. He saw the need. And then he moved to the need. Chris Valton said this. He said, every time Jesus was moved with compassion, he moved. That's good. See, there's a difference in compassion and sympathy. We can sit at home and have sympathy uh, on people, but compassion moves you to do something. When you know and you believe, you don't just sit and know about it anymore. You move, you're moved into that belief to express it where others can, and, uh, can partake of it. Isaiah 54. I was looking at this two weeks ago. And I didn't ever get to it. But uh, it was something the Lord had really dropped in my heart. Isaiah 54, verse 1. Sing, O barren woman. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Man, that's good. You could just say amen. But as I was looking at that, and, and I was reading through Galatians, as I told you, in the Passion Translation, and I got to Galatians chapter 4, and uh, I had read Isaiah 54 and had meditated on a little bit and kind of set it aside, and I'd started reading in Galatians. And in the Passion, in the passion Translation, Galatians chapter 4, uh, I'm just going to read chapter, verses 23 through 28. But in here, Paul is writing to the Galatians. You remember we started, I told you that he said, how can you be so stupid that you began in faith and now you've gone back? To, to the law, you thinking that what you do is what makes you righteous. And he says in there, you know, if that's the case, then Jesus died in vain because you could do it. I uh, spoke at the senior center in Graham this past week and had the opportunity to speak there. And I told them, I said, I want, you to, I want to tell you something, but I don't want you to stone me until you let me finish. I said, if you study the scriptures, you'll see that the law, the Ten Commandments, were never meant for the Gentiles. They were never meant. We, we want them on our schools, we want them in our courtrooms, and we want all that. But th it wasn't the Ten Commandments that were given to the Gentiles. It was given to the Jews, not to show them how to get to God. It was to show them their need of God. And religion twisted it. Religion made it that, no, the Ten Commandments is how we please God. No, he gave the Ten Commandments because he said, you can't do this, and I want you to know it. Why did he tell them that? Because he told Moses, he said, tell them to come to the mountain. I want to talk to them. And they said, no, we don't want to talk to God. You just go talk to him, Moses, and you tell God that anything he tells us to do, we got this. That's Todd's annotated version of it. But if you go back and read it, that's the gist of it. They said, we got this. You go up, you talk to God, Moses. You and him, you do pretty good with that. You know, you the friend. Just tell us what he wants us to do, and we can do it. And God said, you can't. Your self-righteousness, your self-righteousness can't get you to me. So he gave him that to show them that. And he, God parallels it. I think it is, he makes it so simple here in Galatians 4. Paul writing, he's talking about the difference between Ishmael and Isaac, between Hagar and Sarah. He talks about it, and he says uh, in verse 23, Ishmael, the son of the slave girl, was a child of the natural realm, but Isaac, the son of the free woman, was born supernaturally by the Spirit, a child of the promise of God. 
These two women and their sons express an allegory and become symbols of two covenants. The first covenant was born at Mount Sinai, birthing children into slavery, children born to Hagar. For Hagar represents the law given at Mount Sinai in Arabia. The, the Hagar metaphor corresponds to the earthly Jerusalem of today who are currently in bondage. Now, how many of you know that went over really well? Paul writing to the Jews, telling them, you're in bondage. And you know what their response is? We're not in bondage to any man. They were under oppression by the Romans, but in their religious minds, they were saying, we're not in bondage to anybody. The worst kind of deception is self-deception. That's where they live. Self-deception. In contrast, verse 26, there is a heavenly Jerusalem above us, which is our true mother. She is the free woman birthing children into freedom. Come on, somebody. What is she birthing us into? Freedom. What is the parallel? The law was works. The, the, the law... Hagar, Ishmael, it was about what you do. It came from Sinai, what you have to do. God was saying, you can't do enough to get there. What was, who was Isaac? Isaac was the son of promise. It said that it wasn't until they were past the age of bearing children that he was born. What does that mean? That means it was past what they could produce. You know, I don't think this is God's best for us, but I do, I am thankful that there's times that God will let us get past anything we can do in and of ourselves so we can meet where he is. It's not that that's where he lives, it's just that's where he waits many times for us. Abraham, 14 years later, after the birth of Ishmael, God says, I'm going to do something that you can't do. It's going to be the promise. It's going to come by faith. You believing me at my word. You know, isn't it amazing how good the Lord is? Because we look at Sarah and, and we look at the account in the Old Testament when God says, you're going to have a child. And what did Sarah do? She said, oh, yes, hallelujah, praise you, Jesus. No, she didn't say Jesus. She, praise you, Father. She didn't. She laughed. She said, how can that be? I'm old. But in the Hebrews, when it talks about the hall of faith, it, said, it doesn't say anything about Sarah's unbelief. That's the grace of God. They just said, they believe God and, and they got a son. Doesn't say anything in there about Abraham lying twice to two different kings saying, she's my sister. The grace of God again. That Abraham was under grace. He wasn't under law. It was 400 years prior to the law being given. Abraham, under grace, lied, said, it's not, is it okay to lie? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I just want you to see how great his grace is. The kings got warned that you're going to die because you took another man's wife. He said, whoa, he told me it was her sister. And what did they do? They gave the wife back with stuff. Both of them. Abraham continued. He, he lied and he got rich. Don't. That's not a teaching point. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. I just got something from the Lord that pastor heard from God today. I'm going with it. I'm going to run with it. No, that's not the message. The message is, I don't care what you've done. When you know and believe the love that he has for you, he can turn you. He can shape your mind into that son and daughter that, you've already, that you already are. But we have to make that choice. And it says, so these two are parallel. There's the, the works where Abraham worked to try to have a son outside of what God had told him to do. And then there's the one that came by promise through the Spirit. And he said, you who are born again are those who came by promise. It wasn't by your works. It was by the Spirit and only by the Spirit. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Don't marvel that I tell you, you must be born again. Paul, uh, Peter in Acts chapter 4, we began with this. He, Peter in Acts chapter 4, he said that there's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. Why? Because Jesus is the one who finished the work for us. He's the one who bore our sin so that we could become sons and daughters. He bore it. And when we know that and believe that, the power of that is released into us. He says, so the free woman, uh, birthing child into freedom, verse 27, for it is written... 
burst forth with gladness, O barren woman with no children, break through with the shouts of joy and jubilee. For you are about to give birth. The one who was once considered desolate and barren now has more children than the one who has a husband. And this is Paul referencing Isaiah 54. It sounds a little different because this is the Passion Translation, and I read earlier from the New King James. But this is Paul referencing that. Verse 28, listen to this. this. Listen, listen, listen. Dear friends, just like Isaac, we're now the true children who inherit the kingdom promises. Just like Isaac, we're now the true children who inherit the kingdom promises. Who does? We do. We do. So, with that in mind, with Paul referencing them, the Galatians, to Isaiah 54 and saying that just as <clears throat> the barren woman brought forth and she was the child, he, he came as the child of promise. I want you to understand this is what is ours. I went back to Isaiah 54, and I just want to touch on a couple of things, and we're going to have some testimonies from last week, and then we'll have prayer. Verse 2, he said this. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. What's he talking about? He's talking about growth. He's talking about making room for growth. So if we can look and we can see that Paul referenced this and he was talking about this is the promise that came through Abraham's seed, who is Jesus, right? I'm not grasping at straws. I'm, t- I'm jumping right on Paul's back in Galatians uh, chapter 4 when he makes reference to this passage in Isaiah 54. He's saying that barren woman was the promise that came through the Spirit, not through the works of the flesh. So if we understand it comes through the Spirit, not by us producing it, we can understand that this promise here is also for us. Enlarge the place of your tent and stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and the left. Your descendants will inherit the nation and, it, and make the desolate cities inhabited. I make that declaration not over just the river, but over the body of Christ in the earth. That we're, it's time not to retreat and to, not to say, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? But it's time to make room, to make provision for growth. It's time to make room, to make provision for the harvest. He said, stretch out your cords. He said, enlarge the place of your tent, which is your dwelling place. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Do, you know what he's saying? Do not spare. He's saying, think bigger than you think. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. How? According, see, we want to stop there. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We want, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. It doesn't stop there. It says according to, in the proportion to, the power that's at work on the inside of you. Why do we see God working differently in different people's lives? Because it's according to the proportion of the working of God that's going on on the inside of their life. Does it mean some have more faith than others? Nope. As a matter of fact, when you read in Galatians, I love this, that he, in there, it talks about two times in Galatians that we have the faith of Jesus Christ. Not a part of it, not a portion of it, not that Rochelle got a big part and I got a little part. He said, going back to the Aramaic, it means exactly that we have the faith of Jesus. The same faith that Jesus operated in on the earth is the faith that works inside of our hearts and lives. So why do we see it working differently in different people's lives? It's according to how they work it. It's according to how they apply it to their lives, not just to know it, but believe it. It's how you can have in this room today, I don't know how many people we have here, but you have some who say, man, I take that and I believe that for me. And you have others who go, will he ever shut up? My stomach has been growling for 20 minutes. He said twice he's going to share some testimonies and he's going to close. He hasn't done it yet. He, he's really holding on to that liar thing, isn't he? Because he's told us he's closed two times already. He hasn't closed yet. Jesus, help me. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> Take it from my hand. I'm sorry. I won't 
I won't go carry on. He said, for he shall expand to the right and the left, and your descendants will inherit, listen, the nations, and make the desolate cities inhabited. You look around, and it looks dark. And I'm not saying that we get into denial and say, oh, it's not dark, it's not dark, it's not dark. What I'm saying is you look around, acknowledge that it's dark, and then recognize that you're the light that can change the darkness. And how do we change the darkness? Is we're among it. We go out into it. Uh, instead of the mentality of the Old Testament that says, I can't touch the unclean thing because I'll become unclean, we need to have the New Testament mentality that Jesus touched the unclean and made them clean. Amen. It's so cool. It's, uh, we, Monday when we went out and go... We had prayed, and I said, all right, Lord, here's one of the things I want to do. I was reading in Acts where Paul and Silas were wanting to go, uh, and it's uh, just for reference sake. Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas wanted to go to uh, Galatia, and the Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going there yet. Then they wanted to go to Mysia, and they said no, and the Bithynian, he said no. But then that night, the man from Macedonia appeared to Paul, and he said, you can go here. So Paul and Silas went to Macedonia. And uh, one of the things that is, we were praying, as I was praying about, Lord, what are the strategies about, especially for go and for outreach? And he said, what I want you to do is just like what I told the disciples, and that's go, and when, they're, when you're received, let your peace stay there. If you're not received, just keep going. So I said, Lord, what community are we supposed to reach in Gibsonville? Because I believe we're supposed to have impact in Gibsonville. And the thing that kept resonating is Ben's testimony. When Ben lived in California, he said that he adopted this trailer park. And he said, I just went down to that trailer park. And he said, uh, was it every week or every day? Every week he would go to this trailer park. And he would minister to the people in the trailer park and saw transformation, saw signs, wonders, and miracles. But he didn't just, it wasn't a drive-by. You know, the church has gotten good at those. We want to blame all the, blame all the gangs, but the church has gotten good with the drive-bys. We, we drive by a little community, and we go, all right, oh, well, nothing happened here. Just keep going instead of investing into it. So we, I was praying. I said, Lord, where do we start? And in this Isaiah 54, he said, you'll go to the right and to the left. So uh, <clears throat> we said, I told our go team, I said, I've just for some time now, these little apartments right down the road here, have uh, just been in my heart. And I'm saying, all right, Lord, do you want us to go down there? So uh, I don't remember exactly how many of us it was. It was about five or six Monday night. It was about five or six of us, maybe seven, counting Melanie's two girls. But we walk down the street, and we walk in the apartment complex, and we speak to these. First, we see these young people, and they, they're not really into us. They're not really caring what we got to say. We talked to one little girl. She, had a, she was 17. She had a big bandage on her leg where she had burned her leg on a four-wheeler. And I said, can we pray for you? I'm good. Doctor said no infection. Everything's good. She just shut us down. She's like, nope, no, I want that. So we go, okay, talk to him for a few minutes. And we walk on up, and then there's this gentleman sitting up on the balcony. And uh, what was it we thought he said the first time? Thought he was I thought we thought he was talking about bugs, but he was talking about bursitis, arthritis, and a bad back, a bulging disc, and all. He just started. We, I guess he had listened to us talking to the people just up and talk about praying for him. We walked up, and said, "Hey, how you doing? Good." And then he started. We said, "We'd like to pray." I got bursitis, arthritis. I got a bulging disc, and I got this now. And I thought he said he had bug bites, and I'm, I'm like, "What the world?" I said, "Can we come up and pray for you?" He said, "Sure." So we went up, and I don't know how long we spent with him, but it was the Lord. It was just prayer. This man knew the Lord uh, and had been diagnosed with all these things, and we got to spend some time just ministering to him, praying for him. He's written, what did he say, 10 songs and had them copyrighted and uh, used to sing in church and things like that. Don't know that story. Didn't have an opportunity, but he's not in church right now. But just had an opportunity, you know what, to love on him right where he was just to love on him. We had, he said, y'all, y'all Pentecostals, aren't you? I said, well, we're, we're full gospel. Oh, you mean like Assembly of God, Church of God, stuff like that. That was how we started out. Because I told him we wanted to pray for him. 
And it was funny. We prayed for him the first time, and we said, well, try it out. And he stood up, and he said, well, it might get better. I said, we'll pray again. I said, we're radicals. I said, we're not just those that do a drive-by pray and walk on. I said, we'll pray till we see something done. He said, well, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> he let us know he wasn't about us praying all evening on him. But he was, it was awesome how we had time just to fellowship with him. And we, we uh, just had an opportunity to love on him. We're going to go back and see him. Because you know what? The Lord's peace settled on me there. And if it's just to go see Dean again and again and again, I'm going to go see Dean. And I believe, you, you mark it down and you date it, the Lord's going to do something supernatural in that apartment complex. There's a lot of Elon students. He lived there. We've prayed for years. God, give us an impact, a, a door into Elon. And you know what? We can stay here and pray, or we can pray and go. That's what Jesus did. He prayed and he went. So we were there, and one of the things that Dean said is, I said, Dean, I, got, I was stirred up. Before we left, I said, can I hug you? And he said, yeah, and I, hu- I mean, I hugged him. I'm not one of them little half-sideway patchy on the back huggers. If I hug you, I'm going to draw you up in there and squeeze you. So I hugged him. He patted me on the back. I hugged him and hugged him and hugged him. I said, Dean, I got an assignment for you. He said, what's that? I said, you sit here in your chair. I said, you look out over this place, and I just want you to declare the favor of the Lord in this place, that we have an open door, that we can come in. I said, we might come in, set up a sound system, and and give away some slushies and things like that. Oh, you can't. There's there's no solicitation policy here. You can't. I said, we ain't selling nothing. We're giving it all away. He said, well, you know, they real, and then he called himself. He said, well, you know, I guess with the Lord, if the Lord opens the door, they can't shut it, can they? <laughs> I said, that's exactly right, Dean. I said, if the Lord opens, I said, that's what I want you to pray, that the Lord opens that door, that we have an opportunity. We went from there and had two other opportunities to minister to people. Uh, lengthy. It wasn't a little, hey, shake your hand kind of thing. Just really poured into Tish and Jackie into this one lady that was in the dog park. It wasn't even safe that night to be in the dog park in the fence. We went after you. But uh, it was just that, you know, we can sit here and we can pray, God, enlarge our tent. That's not what he said, dude. He said, you stretch out the curtains. You move the stakes. You lengthen the cords. And the increase comes. Amen? Amen. So I want to have a couple of testimonies. I'll share... This one, unless Rachel, do you want to share? And she's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need this mic. I just cut it on. I've got a mic on. Uh, last week we had Susan Starr. If you didn't get to listen to the message, it's up on the podcast. I would encourage you to listen to it. And, uh, but some of the testimonies, we had just started praying. And, and the first few people that we prayed for, there was a man that's uh, married into my wife's family that I, I know personally who had injured his back, was out on disability, was in pain, on pain meds, in pain. Josh, you can't relate to that, can you? Uh, on pain meds, in pain. And he was up here, and we began to minister to him, and Susan began to, to pray over him. And she said, all right, so try it out. And he bent over and squatted down, and tears just began to flow down his face. And he was a big man. He said, I couldn't tell you how long it's been that I could do. He said, I couldn't do that, period. He said, but now to do it without pain, it's just amazing. So his wife was right beside, his wife was there, and uh, she's the one who I mentioned in worship when we first started, who in worship, she, when she came down in worship, she had had pain down the whole left side of her body. She'd had like a migraine on the left side of her head, and in worship, it was totally, totally gone. And Tina had touched base with them in uh, like Tuesday of this last week, and they were both good. They said, he's still just rejoicing and praising the Lord that there's no pain. And uh, she's like, I, I'm, I've been pain-free ever since we had prayer on Sunday. And uh, the next person in line was Mr. Eddie Fisher. And uh, is, Julie, are you coming up or is Eddie coming up? Come on, Eddie. Come on down. And one of the things that I was doing as we were praying for people and God was healing people, I would just shout it out. You say, well, that's not very reverent. Thank you. <laughs> but it was very real. Okay. All right. Yes, you did. Okay. About three weeks ago, tomorrow, uh, I was going to my personal doctor because my leg had swollen up on the right, on the bottom a little bit. And uh, I got there, and uh, 
So they took me to the back and checked my blood pressure and weight, and the lady that took my blood pressure said, wait just a minute, I gotta go see the doctor. And she took me back, uh, doctor come in, and I said, uh, I heard the doctor out in the hallway, she said, uh, we gotta go on and see him right now, we can't do, uh, take this, let this go. And they come in and said my heart rate was up at about 186, which it should be about 70, and had AFib. And they called the rescue squad and sent me right over to the emergency room. And the guy in the rescue squad said, how are you feeling? I said, the Lord's with me. I, I'm okay. He said, yeah, but how do you feel? I said, Jesus is with me. I feel fine. I feel great. And I did. I didn't hurt or anything. Didn't have any pain. But, uh, and I went to the, in the emergency room. They took me right on back and hooked all kinds of stuff up to me. And the uh, doctor come in and he checked me out finally. And they gave me some kind of medication uh, to take to relieve my heart rate and slow it down. And uh, about an hour later, after everybody had left out of there, about an hour and a half later, he come back in and he said, "Well, he said your uh, heart rate has gone down and it done it by itself." It said that we <laughs> didn't, I was looking to come in and have to do a EK or a, a back, or, or a shock treatment on you to get your heart back in the rate like it uh, like it should be. And I said, "Well, I thought that was just Jesus Christ. That's all it was." <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they set me up with an appointment for the next day uh, to see a cardiologist. And I went to the cardiologist, and she put a, a heart monitor on me and said, we, we need to do these tests in the next week or so, and we'll call you back in and let, let you know what's going on. And this past Sunday, I was prayed for up here, that my heart and everything be well, and uh, my eyes too. But the heart rate, uh, when I went back on Monday morning to the doctor, she gave me a checkup and said that, uh, well, we can't find anything else wrong with your heart anywhere. He <laughs> said, everything's okay. You don't have any blockages or anything. You did have the AFib. You did have the AFib. And I'm going to put you on a medication to take care of that to, uh, or the, to keep your heart from, to keep my heart in a beating or beating like it should. But she said, we still got this AFib. And she said, I'm going to. Uh, the medication I'm going to give you for it rather than doing uh, this uh, other stuff, I, I, medicines that are going to give me some kind of side effects and everything. She said, rather than taking a low-dose aspirin, take a regular aspirin every day. Hmm. She said, other than that, you're fine. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And I praise the Lord. Amen. And the Lord touched your eyes too, right, Sunday? The Lord touched his eyes. He had an issue with his eyes about seeing on two different planes and for 55 years. And the Lord touched his eyes and they went... Amen? Amen. The last testimony I'll share is this. There was a young lady here from out of town visiting with, with Rachel. And uh, she, Rachel told me when she asked about the service, I was talking about the service, she said, well, this girl's not familiar with who y'all are. <laughs> pretty much is what she said. And Angie said, I don't have a grid. She was standing up here for prayer, and she, her eyes was, you know, that... That great look that you love, they looking like a cow at a new gate, scared to death, just like this. And we're getting ready to pray for her. And, and Susan said, well, what's going on? And she talked about she was very athletic growing up and that she had SCI, is that right? Something like that. Some kind of issue with her back and that her, her hips were out of line and one leg was longer than the other and things like that. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be cool. <laughs> this is just going to be awesome. So, so we start talking to her. Susan, Susan's ministering to her. And then we have her sit down, and I said, just have her slide her hips all the way against the chair. And we got Tisha who, uh, to come down and just pick her feet up and put them in her hand. And uh, so there was a story behind that, but I won't forsake the time. So Tisha's sitting there. She had her, in her, hand, had her feet in her hands, and her feet were like this. There was that much difference in her, her leg length. It was almost an inch difference uh, when she was sitting there. And uh, so we started praying, and, and I did this, you know, the spiritual thing, I close my eyes. Not really. You know, the Lord said, watch and pray. So that's what I do. I walk and watch and pray when I pray. If I close my eyes too long, I'll fall asleep. That's how spiritual I am. So I watch and pray and I walk and pray. But I was sitting there, I had my eyes closed. And I was thanking the Lord. And he said, open your eyes. So I opened my eyes. And when I opened my eyes, her leg went, Whoop, just like that. She said, I said, did you see that? Karen was two rows back. She said, I saw it. <laughs> she was looking over her shoulder, but her leg just moved just like that. It moved just like that, that fast. And, and Tish was just holding her. Tish looked up with tears in her eyes, and she said, I've never seen anything like that. 
I heard it, but it was right there in her hand. Just said, just moved out. And I said, Angie, what do you think? Tears are just flowing down her face. I said, did you see that? She said, I didn't just see it. I felt it. She said, when it moved, all the pain left. It instantly left. And she said, <clears throat> so after we had prayed for her, and she stood up and she said, I don't have a grid for this. I, I, I don't even know how to process this. I've never been in anything like this before. And I thought to myself, isn't that awesome? We don't have to have it figured out for him to be able to move. That's, relief. That's a relief for me. There's a lot of things. I still scratch my head and I go, Lord, I thought I had that, but obviously I don't. But she was, so I went back to her and I, I talked to her and she said, I said, so how are you doing? She said, amazing. She said, you don't understand. I've had to go to the chiropractor before and to the doctor and they would have to work to try to manipulate my leg to, to get some relief. And she said, it was a lot of pain and a lot of time and it still wouldn't give me the relief that I had just like that. Is that because Susan Starr is such an amazing woman? She is an amazing woman, but you know what? It's because she is a vessel that's willing to allow the Lord to move through her. I loved her innocence. I loved her simplicity and how she ministered. It wasn't from this huge theological debate. It was just, here's who my Jesus is. And we saw him do amazing things. And what I want you to understand is that's the same Jesus that lives in us. Amen. And that's who works in us and through us. And there's other testimonies, and we'll, we'll share more as it goes on. Because as I said, Revelation 19 says, 10 says this, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what does that mean? Stand with me. That means this. If something that we talked about, if there's a heart condition, if there's an uh, issue with your leg, if there's uh, anything else that we mentioned that, that we testified about, that's a prophecy over your life that God can do and will do the same thing for you because he's no respecter of persons. And Hebrews 13, 8 says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. Amen? He is the same. He hasn't changed. So I encourage you, you just take hold of that right now. 